Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the privilege of opening up your word. We pray that um, your words might come forth, and we pray that they might be true to what you wish to be said. And we ask then that your Holy Spirit might take those words and plant it deeply in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Throughout my Christian life, I've had some questions for God. Things that have bothered me. Like, why does it seem that good people suffer while bad people are blessed? Indeed, why is there children in some countries who are starving while in the same country people are wasting food? Why did the Twin Towers collapse before the people could get out? Why does the drunk driver who causes the death of five people come out of it uninjured and isn't even arrested? Why do some criminals get off scot-free on a technicality? Why is there so much injustice in this world? Why do so many things go wrong in my life? Why is it that we make sacrifices to serve God and we get absolutely nothing in return? It's not fair. Did I surprise you so far? <laughs> I'm not the first people to ask those questions. And I don't think I'll be the last. So I ask you today to hang on because we're in for a rough ride today. But I think we have a good destination. I want us to look at why the wicked prosper. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 73. Now the writer of this psalm is a guy named Asaph. Now I think, give him the side here, this isn't a part of my message, but... I think that sometimes as I, as I hear people reading the Bible, they stumble over these names. You know, there's a key to it, a very simple key to this, those names. And that is, first you need to realize, nobody knows how to pronounce them. <laughs> so if you just blurt it out, they're all going to shake their heads and say inside, oh, so that's how you pronounce that. That's, you don't have to pay me for that. Asaph was the worship leader under King David. So thus, as the worship leader, he, it's just another name for Scott. Okay? Now this message is for Scott and I today, so we invite, but we invite the rest of you to listen in. This psalm begins with a look back, verse 1. Now when I became a Christian, one of the first things I did is I got a notebook and I listed all my prayer requests, and then I had a little key that I had different letters that represent different things that represented the things I was praying for for that person and then whenever the prayer was answered I'd write down the date it was answered and how God answered it I've kept that up now for uh, a few years <laughs> 50 years 
And every so often, as I'm struggling with something in, that's going on, or I have doubts, I go back and I read that. You know what I see? I see God's handiwork in the past. And that encourages me in the present. And I think that that's what Asaph has done here too. He looks back at what God did for him in the past and what he did for his people. And his conclusion in verse 1, literally he's saying, surely God does good and nothing but good for his people. After he looks back, Asaph begins to look around. And that's when this problem starts. Verse 2. He begins to judge the things that he sees. He sees what other people have, and he becomes envious. And it causes his faith to begin to slip. Shouldn't I be the one having those things? But they are the ones, and they're not good people. When we compare ourselves to other people, we really don't know what's in their lives. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We don't know their inner struggles, their inner pains. I served a church on Long Island for six years, and I became acquainted with one family there. that uh, they, had, they lived in a very large mansion on the cliffs overlooking Long Island Sound. The y- y- yard was well manicured, had beautiful shrubbery and beautiful flowers everywhere. And in the back, they had a very large swimming pool. And I don't, what I mean by that is it wasn't the average size swimming pool. It was big. And they had all the features you could ever want in a, sli- in a swimming pool. Even one of those sliding boards, you know, the kind that goes curly, that kind of thing. And the woman of the house loved to entertain people. She'd take them out back. And, and, and this, the swimming pool was on the level of the basement of the house. And in the basement, they had changing rooms. They had bedrooms. They had a small kitchen. She loved to have people come over. And I was curious, people commented to me that nobody had ever been to their first floor of their house. Nobody had ever been up there. One day she called me up and asked me to come over. She said she wanted to talk to me about something. So I knew enough not to knock on the front door, and I went around to the swimming pool, and there she was. We started talking, and then she invited me to take a tour of her house. I thought, well, this is going to be interesting. And I was anticipating because of what I'd seen already outside. I was anticipating a lot. The tour didn't last very long because there was nothing to see. And when I say there was nothing to see, I mean there was nothing. The house was empty. No furniture. Not even pictures on the wall. They were living in the basement of their house. We went down, and then she said, I need to ask you your advice on something. She said, I just found out that my husband has been sexually abusing our two young boys. She asked me what she should do. I told her what I thought. She thought for a moment and said, I can't do that. We've worked too hard for what we have. I don't want to risk losing it. The boys will have to learn to cope. As we were having that conversation, I'm sure there were cars driving by and saying, I wish I was that per- those people. 
When we compare ourselves to others, we don't see inside what's going on. We don't know all areas of their lives. Asaph looked around and he saw the prosperity of the wicked, verse 3. Now in the Bible, the wicked means more than just a type of lifestyle. It describes those who have no regard for God. The word prosperity means to have everything that you need to live comfortably, to have nothing to worry about. Asaph saw the prosperity wicked, and then he further looked and he observed that their lives were easy and pain-free, four and five. Everything seems to go smoothly for them. They live in the nicest homes, nicest communities. Their children go to the best schools. They can afford the best doctors and the best medicines. They have it easy. In this book, by, in a book by C.S. Lewis called Screwtape Letters, is he imagines a conversation between two demons, and they're talking about how to keep people from turning to God. And the older demon says, it's pretty easy. What you do is just to make those people's lives easy. Make it that they don't have any needs. Then they will stay away from God. An easy, pain-free life can be a slippery slope to destruction. Say that three times fast. Next, he sees the pride of the wicked, verses 6 through 10. You know, it's not enough that they have everything, but they like to rub your nose in it, don't they? They like to wear their pride like a necklace around their neck. They want you to see what they have, to be envious of them. Again, in my church in Long Island, there was a divorced woman with three small children. And every so often, the church would send over some money for groceries because she was really struggling. Then she got remarried. And almost immediately, she stopped coming to church. I ran into her one day in a store in the checkout line. She told me how well she was and how happy she was. Then as the line moved forward, she loudly said, for me to hear and everybody around, I don't know how I'm going to pay for this. Do I use a check, credit card, or do I use cash? She then lifted up her right hand, and in her hand was a roll of money. She flanned them out like, a, like she was playing cards with them, and they were tens and twenties and fifties and hundreds. And she said for me to hear, which one should I use? They wear their pride like a necklace. They want you to envy them. They act like they're sitting on top of the world. And everybody else is beneath them. And even God is their servant. They, prove, they think that what they have proves that they are better than others. Then, note the self-sufficiency of the wicked. Verses 11 through 14. They feel that God is blind. He can't see what they're doing. And he can't stop them from doing what they're doing. God isn't there. Now, you can start seeing the frustration building in 
Asaph here. The self-sufficiency of the wicked make it, makes it look like serving God is a useless waste of time. Now that's what Asaph saw when he looked around. And next, Asaph looks at himself, looks within, 13 and 14. He knew he was bitter. He, fa he felt that his faith gave him no advantages in life. In spite of all God's promises, it was a waste of time. Now, when I became a Christian, I was in the Navy at the time, and I was a drug addict, and God took it away. My first two years as a Christian were just fantastic. It seemed that everything I wanted, he gave. Prayer was easy. We were being blessed all over the place. A great revival broke out. The only prayer request I didn't receive was, here comes true confessions. I prayed that I would win the Publishers Clearinghouse contest. I laid my hands on it even as I prayed. And I remember I was tempted to anoint it with oil. I didn't get it. But it seemed like all my other prayer requests were answered. It was exciting. Now I felt while I was there in the Navy that I needed to grow as a Christian so I didn't look for a girlfriend. But that doesn't mean I wasn't thinking about it. So I knew God seemed to give me just about anything I wanted, so I prayed for the girl that I wanted. She had to be cute. She had to have long, straight, blonde hair. So when I was discharged from the Navy, I went to my hometown church, and guess who I saw in the church? There she was. Within six months, we were engaged. That summer, she joined a gospel singing team that was touring. And one Friday night, she called and she begged me to come and get her. She said, let's elope tonight. I told her I didn't think we could do it. The next time I talked to her, I think it was on Sunday, one of the first things she told me was, get lost. I was devastated. I couldn't believe it. This was my dream girl. I prayed for her. God gave her to me. So I got angry at God. I yelled at him. I said, for 22 years I've watched myself and I never had a broken heart. And as soon as I trust in you, what happens? I get crushed. Serving you is useless. I decided to get rid of my Bible. I decided I wasn't, had nothing to do with this anymore. So I took my Bible out in the woods. I dug a little hole and I stuck it in and covered it. And then I drove away. I didn't get very far. Went back and got my Bible. And decided that I was going to stick it out anyhow. Like Asaph, I almost slipped. Asaph was in turmoil. His conscience bothered him. He was concerned about 
If he questioned God, how's that going to affect younger believers? Verses 15 and 16. I know how he felt because that's how I felt too. Because I thought, I've been able to talk to a lot of people and I've been able talking to a lot and counseling a lot of people and, and having Bible study with them and they were growing and I thought, what would be the effect now if I turned my back on God? How would it affect them? I thought, well, God had been good to me for two years. Perhaps he'd be good to them for their entire lives. After all, isn't that what he promised? So I stuck it out. I didn't walk away. When we look around at people, we see their prosperity. And afterwards, this can cause us to look at ourselves. And this causes us to begin to question whether serving God is worth it. I see we're out of time now. I hope my message inspired you. We're going to end there today. Asaph doesn't stop there, and we won't either. Besides, the last time I preached here, I, get, I preached for 30 minutes, and then I was told I had 40. <laughs> I'll take my 40 today, and you owe me 10. Actually, I said that this morning and then didn't turn out that way. I, I preached this sermon on Monday as practice. It lasted 55 minutes. And before you worry too much, I did a lot of cutting this week. <laughs> Asaph looks up. It says, it's as, 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 as if at this point, Asaph has been looking through the wrong end of a telescope. And you know what that's like. Everything is wrong. You can't see clearly. And I think we're all doing that when we look at life. We don't see things as they really were, are. Mankind is not a, just a physical being. Mankind also has a spiritual life inside. He is a spiritual being as well. Our spiritual life connects us with God. It's our inner being. Our physical bodies connect us with this world. Our physical bodies are temporary. Our spiritual lives are eternal. If we ignore our spiritual life, our spirit inside will cry out to us that there's more to life than just living. And I'm sure you've all heard that cry inside. Is that all there is? If we don't allow that cry inside to drive us to God, then throughout our lives we're going to feel empty inside. We're going to feel that there has to be more to life than this. Because only God can feel the emptiness that we have inside. St. Augustine said that there's a God-shaped vacuum in us all, and we are doomed to search until we find ourselves in him. And that's correct. When we live only for physical things, we are ignoring the part of us that is eternal. You can have all that the world has to offer and still be empty inside. That's what Asaph discovered. And you know what? You can discover it too. Go look at the news. Look at the latest celebrity deaths. Look at the millionaires who commit suicide. 
Isn't it amazing how many of them kill themselves? I saw two this last week. They have everything. Why are they doing that? They're doing that because they're empty inside. We need to look up and see God. Verse 17. When we go to God's house, we are reminded that God is alive and well on planet Earth. By going to God's house, we are encouraged to hear God's word. We are encouraged to read God's word. And in God's word, we make some discoveries. We see that others have had hard times and that God took care of them. We realize that we are not alone. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes from the Word of God. When we go to God's house, we'll be encouraged to get into God's Word. And when we do that, we will find our lives being refocused on the eternal. In God's house, we will receive an awareness of the insecurity of the wicked. Verses 18 through 20. Now back in verse 2, Asaph said that as he looked at the prosperity of the wicked, he his, he found his faith beginning to slip. But now after going into God's house, he realizes they are the ones who are on slippery ground. They are the ones who are slipping. The godless are presently living in a dream world. The problem with dreams is they don't last long. You wake up and face reality. I've dreamed of being a great baseball player. I know what that means. You want to rush up there and get my autograph. You have baseball cards with my picture on it, and you want me to sign it. And you might have a baseball of one of my many home runs that won World Series, and you want me to sign them. But I woke up. It was just a dream. When morning comes, dreams disappear. Now the prosperity and the blessings that we see the wicked having and enjoying in life is just the same. It's all just a dream. And they will wake up one day, they will abruptly wake up and face a godless eternity. Why do we get jealous of somebody else's dream? That doesn't make sense. A visit to God's house also gives us a new awareness of our sounds. Verses 21 and 22. Literally what he says here is, When I envied the wicked, my heart grew sour, and my spirit was stabbed. Isn't that an interesting way of putting it? And when your heart is sour and your spirit has been stabbed, you can't see straight. You become as senseless as a beast. Now, animals don't have spiritual lives, so they're not worried about it. All they worry about is their physical needs. As long as their physical needs are being met, they're happy. They don't think about eternity. But we are eternal beings. Why do we think like animals? Why do we think that this world is all that there is? Further in God's house, he has a new awareness of God's presence in his life. He becomes aware that God has been with him throughout. 
verse 23 through 26. He realizes that God has been holding his hand even during those hard times. And now, what you've all been waiting for, the exciting conclusion of Don's love life. <laughs> now, if you recall in our previous episode, Don got his dream girl. But his dream girl told him to get lost. And he was devastated. He blamed God. He blamed God for giving him what he'd asked for. Although he didn't realize it at the time, he began to realize that God was holding his hand even then. Even, do, even during the times of heartbreak, God is still holding your hands. Two years later, God led him to a volleyball game. And during the volleyball game, God swung him around and he knocked down a girl. After all, it is hard to play volleyball when someone's holding your hand, you know. As I reached down to help her up, I noticed, hey, she's cute. <laughs> and then I noticed her hair. Her short, curly, brown hair. <laughs> the results of that volleyball game have lasted 46 years. God had a better plan for me than I had for myself. He knew what I needed. It's interesting, 12 years ago, I found out what happened to my dream girl. She's been married five times. I could have been number one. <laughs> that would have probably destroyed my Christian life. There's an interesting verse in Psalm 106, verse 15. And it says that God gave them the request, but gave them leanness of heart. Leanness in that verse means to waste away, to destroy. So what he's saying there is, sometimes God will give us what we ask for, but it could destroy us. But God thinks it's worth the risk. Because you know what? When your life is easy, it's easy to be a Christian, isn't it? But when your life turns wrong, when things get rough, that's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? That's when you need to learn to live by faith. And God wants us to learn to live by faith. He wants us to become like him. And when we do, we begin to experience his life in us. And we will enjoy his fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That's what happened to me. God taught me a lesson. But later he gave the perfect girl for me. A broken heart taught me to trust God even more. Because we choose, when, we have a broken, when it's, life is tough, we have to choose to live by faith. Asaph discovered God was holding his hand throughout his life. And, it may, and I made the same discovery. Previously, he said that the wicked had everything for a good life. 
But now he realizes that since he had God, he is the one who had everything. He is, ha- he is the one who had everything that he needed. He was still as physically poor as he was before. But now he saw that he had everything that he needed since he had God. God may allow the wicked to have an easy life, but it's theirs for only a moment. A short time is just a dream. It won't fulfill. Finally, in God's house, he has an awareness of the destiny of the wicked. Now, my wife and I like to watch mysteries on TV. We like the British mysteries especially. And after about 15 minutes of a show, I will nonchalantly get on my phone and look up that movie or that show, and I will skip to the end to see who lives and who the killer was. She thinks I'm playing a game on my phone. She forgets that I haven't the foggiest idea how to play a game on my phone. But boy, is she amazed when I guess who did it. When we look at the book of life, if we turn to the back, we see the future of the wicked. Verse 27. The last chapter of the wicked, even if they have great blessings here on earth, all the prosperity you could ever ask for, the last chapter shows that they will be separated from God for all eternity. And to be separated from God means that you'll be separated from love, peace, and joy forever and ever. I find it interesting to hear people talk sometimes. They say, oh, I'll be so happy in hell. I'll be having such a party. We'll be with all my friends. And, you know, they don't realize what they're describing there is not hell. That's heaven. Hell is going to be lonely. You're not going to be with your friends. If you want to be with your friends, you better get to heaven. Last chapter of the life of the wicked shows them separated from God. In contrast, we also see the future of the child of God. Verse 28. God will be their refuge for all eternity. They will be surrounded by his love. They will enjoy his peace. They will have his joy. And that will last forever and ever. Now, do you get the implications of what I've just said? I don't know what you're going through right now, but let me tell you something. I've read the last chapter of your life. If you're a child of God, it's going to turn out good. And you can't change that. Nothing can change that. The hardships you're facing now will end, if you're a child of God, will end with you in heaven, with God for all eternity. That's pretty good. So why do we allow these things to bother us so much? The idea of physical prosperity is a great advantage in life is just a dream. And dreams don't last. When we are tempted to be envious of the prosperity of those who don't know God, we need to have faith that God is holding our hands. We need to remind ourselves 
by going into God's house. I know sometimes it's hard to go to church. I'd rather sleep. I mean, we have, there's a 9.30 service here. You know where I'm usually at 9.30 in the morning? When we go to God's house, we will hear God's word. And we'll be encouraged as we hear about people who have served God and found him to be there for them. During hard times, we'll see how they struggled in the past and how God was holding their hands. The Bible says, faith comes by hearing and hearing comes from the word of God. We need faith, we need to hear God's word. We need to be in God's word. And this will build our faith. And this then will help us to face the hardships that we have. In God's word, we will see and realize that God is holding our hands. Let me give you another suggestion. One for your key to practice in your own homes. Now, my wife was a cheerleader. So let me give you a little cheer. Each morning, I want you to repeat these seven words. You ready? You're going to repeat them right now. Okay, ready? Right now, God is holding my hand. Repeat it. Believe it. It's true. Throughout the days and the weeks to come, whenever you have a struggle, whenever you are tempted, just repeat those seven little words. You'll be reminded that God is with you always and that he is holding your hands. Let's pray. We thank you for all you do for us, for the fact that we can trust you, for the fact that you are holding our hands even when we don't realize it. And may we go through life with the knowledge that you love us. In your name, amen.